Welcome to the Richard Roper Podcast. It's been a minute. That's what they say a lot in movies and, and on TV shows these days. You, have you hear characters saying that? They're like, it's been a minute. I don't know if anybody ever says that in real life, but we're saying it on the podcast, which is kind of like real life. It's been a minute. Glad to be joining you guys once again. You got this. That's another one. You got this. We've got this. Everybody's got this. A uh, bunch of stuff to talk about on today's podcast sure you're aware of this ongoing and it is an ongoing story and controversy uh regarding the blind side and the dispute between uh michael orr and the tui family we're going to get into the latest details on that and some of the fallout and some of the reactions uh, some of which are absolutely batshit crazy uh i'm going to talk about something that happened to me at a screening uh this week just a couple of days ago that really rankled me. It got my goat. And if you know me, it's not easy to get my goat. I protect my goat very well. And reviews of a lot of new stuff coming up. But first, here's your reminder. The Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly. And to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. Okay, doing the old radio thing where you used to shuffle and rattle your papers. Still like to have the papers in front of me, even though I have nine screens as well. Uh, okay, so I'm at a screening. You guys know the routine by now. A lot of you know the the way in which I see these movies, right? Uh, the whole the whole process, of course. Uh, they either send the studios send links to me of various TV shows and some movies, or there are advanced screenings. And I've been lucky enough to be attending advanced screenings for 30 years. They set up a screening either at a commercial theater or a private screening room a week or two in advance so the critics can see the film and have a chance to process their thoughts and write their reviews, broadcast their reviews, etc. That's the arrangement. That's how it's worked forever, pretty much. In fact, a quick anecdote, uh, I was once on a studio lot with Roger, and we were actually going to do, I think we were doing an interview, and someone wanted to do it in a screening room, and uh, we entered the screening room, and Roger was like, oh my God, I saw Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid here uh, way back in the day. And in Chicago, they have a screening room, a private screening room that's been around for decades, and then, you know, the usual, the, the AMC theaters and places like that, uh, critics get invited. Uh, sometimes members of the public, it's a WOM screening, word of mouth, so fan clubs or whatever the case may be. Prior to every screening, uh, there are security personnel who address the crowd and tell everyone the movie's about to start. Feel free to share your reactions on social media afterward. Uh, take pictures now if you'd like, but as soon as the movie starts, you have to power down your phones. We've got infrared technology. We're going to walk around. If your phone is on, we're going to assume you're recording. And just for also the sake of respect, we're going to ask you to turn off your phone or we're going to escort you out of the theater. Also, you know, if you have to make a call, just please step outside, you know, common courtesy, which they did. This was a screening of Blue Beetle, which we'll review a, bit, a little bit later in the podcast. So it was a seven o'clock Chicago Times screening. It's a two hour and seven minute superhero movie. And I settle into my seat all set to see Blue Beetle. And about three minutes into it, during a quiet sequence, I hear a baby, the gurgling of a baby, then a baby kind of 
you know, too young to even talk, but making talking type sounds and then crying. And at first I thought this is the greatest surround sound screening I've ever attended. Then I realized and I could see down in the lower section. I was kind of up in the balcony at a preferred seat that I love. I go, oh, my God, there's a couple here with a baby. And when I say baby, there's no way this this little beautiful child was more than two years old, guys. I want to say 18 months to two years old. So. Uh, and there's a the couple, they've got the stroller, they've got, you know, when, when people travel with a baby nowadays, and I listen, especially when I see parents who are like, you know, in airports with two or three kids, and they're all young, I'm like, God bless you. Good luck to you. But even one child, most parents these days, they look like they're going, uh, you know, down the the Oregon Trail in the old, you know, in the 19th century with all of their known possessions in a covered wagon. I mean, there's the 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 super duper we don't even know how to put it together but we finally figured it out stroller there's 10 blankets there's all kinds of doodads and toys if the kids a little older sometimes even if they're really little they they've got uh, electronics ipads to keep them amused there's changes of clothes there's diapers there's bottles there's breast pumps i don't know what the hell's going on all i know is when the, the first explorers climb mount everest they did they weren't that well prepared there's a lot of shit that they bring along when they're doing this stuff so this couple's got this baby. And now, first of all, this is a superhero movie. It's very, very loud with the big, you know, speakers and the theater rattling, which cannot be good for that child's ears, that infant's ears. And also, obviously, they have no idea what's going on. Two hours and seven minutes, which means this movie's going to end sometime around 9, 10. If these people live next door to the theater, they're not going to be home until 9, 15, which, again, you got your kid, do what you want with your kid. But when you bring that child into the public arena and you're just thinking like, what is the thought process here, ladies and gentlemen, for this couple? Uh, the baby kept making noises and I could tell they were, you know, they were trying to do their best. So the, so, so the mom would leave, you know, the theater with the baby and go outside for a few minutes. Then she'd hand off the baby to the dad and the dad would go outside. And sometimes when they were outside with the baby, they were still in the lobby. You could still hear the baby crying. And the relay race, by the way, where they were you know, handing the infant off like a baton, incredibly distracting. Now you got these two parents going back and forth. And, you know... There are security there, and I know it's a little bit of a delicate situation. I don't know. Maybe these were VIP guests. I, I I know they were very stupid guests and rude and selfish and didn't care about the other 150 people in the screening. And I'm like, I'm not getting involved in this. I have definitely in the past, as recently as a couple of weeks ago, politely asked people to turn off their phones, even though they already asked to turn off their phones. I've definitely asked people sitting right behind me to please stop talking because I have to review the movie. And 99% of the time, people are like, oh, gosh, I'm sorry. You know, they fall into habits. They're used to talking during movies or, or at other if it's just a regular public screening. I guess some people get on their phones, which is still rude as hell. But guys, this, this couple never left. For two hours and seven minutes, this went on. And to me, it's just like, what is the thought process? Who, If you couldn't get a sitter, if you can't afford a sitter, that's too, I, I feel bad too, but you, and you got the tickets, then, you know, you got to make the choice. Either mom or dad is going to go to the movie and someone's going to stay home with the child or you just don't go. And if you think that you have the rare, you know, baby Jesus, who isn't going to make any noise whatsoever for two hours and seven minutes, even though it's night and there's a loud movie that's probably going to keep you up, you know, I guess you think, okay, we thought we had the world's first baby that wasn't going to make noise. Uh, but the second time that the baby's crying or making all kinds of loud noises, wouldn't you just pack up and call it a night? Not this couple. No, 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 no. Now, I did. I mentioned this on Twitter and some people ask me, well, is that going to affect your review of the movie? No. 
It's not the fault of the studio. I I don't, you know, to me, it's like, I don't know who is involved. Sometimes there's more than one entity involved in this. So I don't, you know, I'm not going to spend the next two weeks chasing down who is responsible for this or chasing down the couple in question and saying, why would you do that? But it's not the fault of the filmmakers. That's for sure. The people who made the movie, I'm sure they would be mortified. They would be, you know, saying, gosh, why would you do that? And I know in, in certain situations, a lot of situations that when there's advanced things, you know, these are, these are, this is a privilege to come for all of us that are seeing these, these screenings. You could just say, you know, we're, we're asking, we're, we're actually not asking. We're, we're letting you know that no children under the age of 10 will be allowed or no children for R rated movies. They can certainly say it's the same rules as they have for R rated movies. You got to be of a certain age and company by an adult and, and that's it. And then it's, it's real easy. If somebody shows up with a baby, you said, you know, I'm sorry, but our, our invite to you, the past you got said that we're not going to allow babies here. I talked to, to a friend about this who there's a Michael Jackson uh, musical uh, playing in Chicago right now. I think it's in previews and then is going to be on Broadway. I, not, I could be wrong about that, but I think that's the deal. It's playing for a month in Chicago and I haven't had a chance to see it, but I hear it's absolutely spectacular. And I'm told that on opening night, uh, somebody came there with a crying baby to, to a, a theatrical live performance, which is, you know, even more egregious because now you have actors who can actually and musicians who can actually hear the baby and, and i'm told the director of the show was there because it was i think opening night other people involved with the production of the play and the person with the baby was sitting right near them but i was told that this individual with the child um actually had the good graces to leave but i i just don't know what you're thinking when you bring a child to a movie a baby to a movie or a you know, I see this too. I see people bringing 10 year olds to horror films, eight year olds to horror films and and thinking their kids are going to be fine with that. And I'm like, maybe, you're, maybe so. But that seems insane to me. Again, it's very different. If you have to travel, you know, if I'm on a plane and there's a crying baby, I, I you know, and I, I feel that most people feel this way. You could get irritated. Uh, but I think most people feel for the parent, especially if they've been in that situation, because they know that parents going, oh, God, please, please stop crying. I was on a flight from LA to Chicago recently as I was getting on the plane. I think I counted six babies that I could see on the plane. And that's why they invented Bose noise reduction headphones. And no, this is not a paid plug, but that'd be a good sponsor, Bose. Uh, and I couldn't hear it. I don't know how much the babies cried or didn't cry. Uh, but in other situations like this, uh, you don't have to bring the baby. You shouldn't bring the baby. All right. That's enough about the baby. Let me know if you disagree. I, I don't know what the other side of the argument could possibly be. Baby wasn't a star in the movie or anything. Okay, okay, okay. Drink of water moving on. I want to talk about this blindside controversy that's been uh, raging all week. You may have heard about it. And I got some some updates on this. So the, here's the story. You guys remember the 2009 movie, The Blind Side, which was based on a book uh, and then fictionalized. We've talked a lot about fictionalized biopics and, and, and true stories all the time and turned into a very, very successful and popular award-winning feature film with Sandra Bullock um, actually winning the Academy Award for Best Actress uh, for her portrayal of Leanne Tui. Sean and Leanne Tui, they were the couple, the Tennessee couple that had adopted Michael Orr, uh, who became an NFL star in real life. Uh, actually had a great career as an offensive lineman. Now, uh, I, I will say in retrospect, I understand a lot of people have problems with this movie because it does fall into that white savior 
pattern of bagger vans and of course green book which a lot of people hated i did not but i understood where people were coming from and there's some cringe inducing moments and there have been reports through throughout the years that michael orr was not thrilled with his portrayal the way he was portrayed in the movie again this was based on a nonfiction book uh and then there was a you know a screenplay put together it it wasn't his story in other words he, michael orr had no control basically about what was going to be said in the movie and he was already a football player by the time he i think the, the two he's met him there you know the timeline made it seem a little bit more like they rescued him uh some people felt he was portrayed as being you know not bright at all and the friendship with the little son is a little cringe inducing too because you know you got this little boy and this very large african-american this black teenager and the, the dynamic there is almost like the little boy is the smart one teaching the 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 older now adopted we thought brother you know the ways of the world but sandra bullock was really good in it she won the academy award the Tui family uh was reportedly paid you know a certain amount of money the mom the dad the brother and the sister uh for the rights to the story and the rights to their lives but again it was based on the book this movie's made 300 million dollars and we've talked a lot about the fact that you know that money goes all over the place since the studios will tell you oh movie made gross 300 million dollars it still hasn't made a net profit so who made what after that uh the two definitely profited public relations wise greatly uh with their own books and motivational speaking and and you know we're considered to be heroes uh, Michael Orr went on to play in college. He was a star in college. He was with the Ravens. Uh, he's retired now. I think he's 37 years old, but that had a very, you know, big career, Super Bowl champ, I believe, as well. Now, out of seemingly nowhere, uh, just uh, less than a week ago, Michael Orr uh, petitioned a Tennessee court with allegations that a main element of the story was a complete lie concocted by the family to enrich itself at his expense. It was a 14-page petition filed in Shelby County, Tennessee probate court. And it says that Sean and Leanne Tui, who took Orr into their home as a high school student, never actually adopted him. Instead, uh, right after he turned 18 in 2004, they're alleging, the, the petition from Michael Orr is alleging, the couple tricked him into signing a document that made them his conservators, which then gave them the legal authority to make business deals in his name. Uh, the petition alleges that they've made millions of dollars in royalties. We don't know that again. Uh, while uh, Michael Orr got nothing and they're asking for all punitive damages and, uh, you know, I guess we, what you'd call uh, uh, back pay. Now, that's the one side of the story that came out first. Now the Tuies are, are telling TMZ that Michael asked them for $15 million to not go public with claims that they had swindled him. And they said there's no credence to his claims that Michael's tried several times to plant this negative story if they didn't cough up an eight-figure check. But this has happened over the years. The attorney for the Tuies is saying... Now, he's also saying that the Tuis have given uh, Michael an equal cut of every penny they ever received from the blind side. So now you have, you know, a classic story that's going to wind up in court where you have Michael Orr saying, I didn't know that I wasn't adopted. There was this conservatorship thing going on. And the Tuis saying that there's no claim to there's no basis to this claim and they've shared every piece of uh, profit they could have gotten we'll see what happens it's a sad story either way i mean however this plays out obviously a rift has developed uh in, in this story which was a, a a fantastic feel-good story and i think there's still some elements there that people should feel really great about i do want to say this stuff some of the most ridiculous bullshit comes out on twitter 
Uh, and some people were saying that Sandra Bullock should be held accountable for this because she won the Academy Award and she played Leanne Tui. Uh, some people are even saying uh, she should have to give her, this is on Twitter, she should have to give her Oscar back, any earnings she made from the movie, several other people saying uh, similar things. It's just, just that's just absolute insanity. First of all, again, it was based on a nonfiction book. And I'm not holding the, the author of the book or the writer, director of the film responsible either because you know, you're making a fictionalized movie based on the facts, you know, even the original reportage, you know, I, I can't expect to say, oh, well, let, let's make sure that there was really an adoption and not a conservatorship and start becoming an investigative journalist as you're putting together a feel good movie. And certainly Sandra Bullock, whether or not she gets involved early on, because she was already a big star by 2009 and, you know, is is credited with being a producer or not all those things. I don't care if you're the executive producer. I don't care if you had original ideas, you contributed. We don't know all of the uh, details in this particular movie. Uh, she's not responsible for a news story that breaks 14 years later about the realities of the blind side. The idea that somehow Sandra Bullock should be held accountable. I mean, if, if, if you start down that road, when are you going to, I don't know, how does it stop then? I'm just checking this out real fast. By the way, John Lee Hancock was a terrific filmmaker as the writer director of the movie, the blind side, uh, which was based on the Michael Lewis book. And of course, Michael Lewis has done tons of books that have become movies, including uh, Moneyball and the big short actually become great movies. And in all those cases, even the nonfiction books, you know, people can say these, this characterization wasn't accurate. This one isn't really what happened. And sometimes conversations are, are imagined and, and certain events are, are changed along the, the, the timeline, but certainly in a movie like this. And the idea that Sandra Bullock is responsible in any way, shape or form for this is absolute nonsense. We, we get this every time. I mean, every time there's a movie based on a true story, not legal cases like this serious, I, I don't mean, but, uh, but somebody stepping forward saying that's not the way it happened. We've even had people who are taking issue with the Barbie movie, including Bill Maher, who is offended, I guess, who said he went to see the movie. And by the way, in real life, Mattel actually has women on its board because in the movie, it's an all male board membership. And he's like, you know, that's not accurate. And I'm like, well, Will Ferrell's also not the CEO. Also, there's no such thing as Barbie land. It's a fantasy movie about a doll. So it is not meant to reflect reality. And with Oppenheimer, a lot of people made valid points about the history around Los Alamos and the bombing of, of uh, Nagasaki, Hiroshima, and the war as a whole. But this was a movie about Oppenheimer and the first clue that that was going to be the focus of the movie was the fact that it was called Oppenheimer, folks. And if you want to talk about inaccuracies in biopics, you know, films such as uh, Bonnie and Clyde, which kind of glossed over the fact that they were stone cold murderers, uh, Amadeus, which can talk really pretty much concocted a, a rivalry between Mozart and Salieri, uh, The Untouchables, a movie I love, but about 97% of that is just Flight of Fancy by uh, Brian De Palma. And David Mamet, other people who were involved in it, they just, you know, that was the story. It was that those characters existed, Elliot Ness and Al Capone, and that's about it. All the rest of it's pretty much fiction. Uh, a Beautiful Mind had huge inaccuracies and had this whole 
storyline about John Nash seeing things and seeing a, a fictional character that not, none of that has anything to do with what he actually dealt with in his real life. Uh, Braveheart and, and recently a movie that a lot of people love, The Greatest Showman with Hugh Jackman, who I love. And it's very entertaining. And it is this very uplifting period piece, you know, musical about uh, the fact that the circus, you know, a hundred and some years ago. Uh, the big top show attracted all these people who at the time were called freaks and 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 creeps and losers, and they all found, you know bound together and found each other and, and celebrated life. And it's it's a beautiful story, and the cast is wonderful, and the songs are great. Uh, but P.T. Barnum, there's no evidence whatsoever in this guy's life that he was anything but a monster and actually a racist. So, I mean, he just, he almost in a case like that thing, why don't you just make a fictional movie, man? You know, it's got nothing to do with reality. But the case of The Blind Side, again, a lot of it's true. Uh, the the basic story happened, but huge uh, dispute and, and very sad. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to go on uh, until it probably either reaches an out-of-court settlement. But whatever the case may be, I think there's some damage that's been done there on both sides that uh, is never going to re be repaired. So... Uh, I still think it's a terrific movie. I do also understand some of the problems people have with it, especially in this new era. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. We're going to hear about Portillo's, and then we're going to talk about Blue Beetle and some other new releases. Stay with us. All right, we're going to talk about Portillo's. You guys know the drill here. They're known for their famous Chicago hot dogs with all the famous correct Chicago ingredients, right down to that poppy seed bun. But there's so much more. They got great burgers. You can get Italian sausage, Italian beef, amazing French fries, also some really good salads. Don't shortchange the salads at Portillo's. And then, of course, you top it off with the legendary, the one and only, chocolate cake. I know people who order the entire cake for birthdays and other occasions, but you can also get a, a slice, which will probably last you two helpings because it's amazing. And always, of course, you keep the cake at room temperature. That's how they do it at Portillo's. That's how you want to consume it. Now there are Portillo's in many locations across the country, but you can also order online and ship it via Portillo's.com. You can find a location near you, order online, Portillo's, P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com, Portillo's.com. I just want to rap. Jenny? I just want to rap. Guard the hybrids in your life, but do not open it. You went in to get a shops, and all you brought back was a hamburger? Okay, I don't think it's a burger. You haven't looked? What the hell is that? How did you get it to do that? I think he likes me. It's on your back! Get it off! Get it off! What the? You host acquired. Who said that? It's okay, it's gonna be okay! Whatever you can imagine, I can create. Let's party. Nice choice. I just want to... It's like Batman stuff. Batman's a fascist. I just want to... 
Okay, clip there from Blue Beetle. This is a DC Comics uh, movie, as you know, if you're into all these superhero universes, universe eyes, universities, multiverses, whatever the case may be, DC's trying to reinvent themselves once again in their never-ending efforts to catch up with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So Blue Beetle uh, is a character who's been around for a long time, since the 30s, different versions of Blue Beetle, and I know that DC Comics picked up the rights to the story I think in, I want to say in the 80s, you comic book guys know more about this than I do. But you know, we have a lot of bug themed characters in the world of comic books. We got your Spider-Man and your Black Widow and your Ant-Man and your Wasp and your Green Hornet and then the Tick and the Fly and the Butterfly and the Moth and the Yellow Jacket. And gosh, we ought to get an exterminator. Blue Beetle somewhere on the you know chart between Spider-Man and, you know, Killer Moth and Red Bee in terms of notoriety, fame. Uh, but it's kind of cool that it finally came to the big screen. It's a it's a Latino story with a with uh, the the lead is Jaime Reyes slash Blue Beetle. Uh, in the movie version, Jaime's a young college student who comes home. It's a fictional city that's sort of like a combination of I want to say Miami and Los Angeles and Barcelona, but it's a, it's an American city. Comes home, finds out his family's in distress uh, financially, some health problems. Decides he's not going to go to law school and uh, tries to get a job uh, with Cord Industries. There's always a big industrial, military, sometimes complex Cord Industries, kind of like Stark Industries. Victoria Cord's played by Oscar winner Susan Sarandon. You, you, that's that's the other trick. Of course, you get an Oscar winning veteran to play, you know, the, the chief villain in a lot of these movies. Uh, and uh, eventually, Jaime gets a hold of the the scarab thing that turns him into Blue Beetle. And I, look, it, it, it's okay. I like. I thought the cast was terrific. It's got a nice, warm heart to it, but it feels so much like so many superhero origin stories we've seen a million times before. The kind of the joke a little bit is that Blue Beetle's kind of a second-rate Iron Man, Batman, that there's another uh, Blue Beetle from the past who tried to be Batman but couldn't get a lot of the tools and toys to work, and the Beetle costume's kind of ridiculous, but it's a lot of the same stuff we saw, we saw in Spider-Man and we saw in Iron Man where the, you know, the unwitting unknowing young hero all of a sudden has to figure out how to control the suit or the web or whatever the case may be and then you got your obligatory big climactic scenes and they like to set them to hard rock classic rock or hip-hop and yeah, i thought the special effects were kind of honestly not great we've seen these fight scenes before it sets up as a franchise we'll see i i found it to be very much middle of the road two and a half star type of uh superhero movie nothing we haven't seen before now this is a this is an attempt for sure to be clever and original and that's a movie called strays this is will ferrell i'm lost you're a stray man you can do anything you want this beer doesn't taste good but i like how it's making me feel this is jamie fox i recently this couch best sex of my life and she dirty too oh well i i can tell looks like she hasn't been washed in years I'll see you later, baby. It was nice to meet you. We're completely lost, and my little puppy paw pads are really hurting right now. This could be a lot worse. How could this get worse? Ah! Hold on, buddy! Ah! Holy f That is the craziest thing I have ever seen. And I'm Dennis Quaid, and Dennis Quaid has seen some I'm starving. How many of these should we eat? Mm -hmm. All of them? Give me a sec. Whoa. You look different. You look different, too. How so? Hold up. Sit! The cops! Oh, God. What do we do? Calm down. I got this. Hello, officer. None of us... Shut the f*** up. Strays in theaters August 18. Rated R.
Now you might have seen the advertising for this. This is in the tradition. It's an R-rated movie, and I, I, you know, we just talked about parents and kids, and you know, you see the posters, and it's uh, Jamie Foxx and Will Ferrell are voicing dogs. This is one of those talking dogs movies. It's not animated, but you know, they do that thing where the dog's mouth moves uh, when they're with each other. When they're around humans, they don't. That's that's usually the rule. Uh, unless it's Ted, then the teddy bear does talk to, to Mark Wahlberg. But anyway, you know, it's talking dogs and they're cute. And we've got a lot of dogs journey and dogs purpose type movies. And this is but this is an R rated parody of that, folks. It's very raunchy. It's very dirty. It's very filthy. Don't take your seven year old to see this thinking they're going to see a cutesy dog movie. So it's like, you know, Sausage Party was a spoof of family friendly uh, animated films. And, you know, Good Boys, which I liked a lot, was a really foul mouth uh, take on middle school coming of age movies. Mentioned Ted's. Uh, so Strays has that same kind of thing. It's a, it's a takeoff on the sentimental talking dog movie, and that's pretty clever. And Will Ferrell uh, voices uh, the Border Terrier Reggie, and he's perfect because when you think about it, he's basically, he sounds like his character, an elf, you know, just completely uh, hopelessly naive and optimistic and just believing in everybody, even though he shouldn't. Uh, so it starts off, Will Forte plays a human. He's very good at playing a human because he is a human. Uh, but he's a horrible person who has uh, Reggie because he took him from his girlfriend during a split up just out of spite. And he mistreats Reggie and he, and he abandons Reggie. And those scenes are completely unfunny and, and kind of tough to watch. So that's how Reggie becomes a stray. And then Reggie teams up with Bug, who is the Boston Terrier voiced by Jamie Foxx. And then Isla Fisher is a uh, Australian shepherd. Randall Park uh, voices a great Dane. And the four strays get in all kinds of adventures. And I will say there are some very clever, laugh out loud funny moments here including a couple of guest appearances by actors who have appeared in some of those very sentimental and warm family-friendly dog movies and that's really really well done but the premise is too thin to be stretched into an entire feature film there are only so many jokes about humping and pooping and vomiting and licking up vomit and you know it's just the same stuff over and over again we get it their dogs their strays they're a little bit raunchy but it really has a good heart uh, so it really kind of ran out of steam. You just want to give all the dogs a treat and tell them to go home. They're trying too hard. Also want to mention on uh, Netflix, there's a series called Depp versus Herd, a documentary series. Can you please tell the jury why you're here today? Ms. Herd accused me of abuse. My ex-husband is suing me. Brutal, cruel. This is humiliating for any human being to go through. And all false. Amber Heard forever changed Mr. Depp's life and reputation. Behind the fame, you're going to see who the real Johnny Depp is. Depp was the one who wanted the cameras in the courtroom. She didn't. I would argue it's a PR campaign disguised as a defamation case. There's the man himself. It's been a social media circus of commentary from creators and influencers. Did you commit any kind of prank? Absolutely not. On my side of the bed was human fecal matter. <laughs> this has moved away from a news story or a lawsuit. And it's transformed into a cultural moment. You guys, I'm sure, know about... So let's talk about, you know, tough uh, legal cases involving celebrities. So Johnny Depp, you know, one of the world's greatest and most famous actors, and Amber Heard, a young actor who I actually thought she was going to be uh, on the level. I, I Early in her career, like 
I wouldn't have been surprised if she had the career of a Marco Robbie. She's, you know, stunning and very good on screen and did some really good work in some smaller films and then was starting to get in some bigger movies. Obviously, she's like Aquaman. Uh, but her career hasn't exactly taken off to the point you'd expect. And I don't want to say I'm blaming this on the marriage, but she got involved with Johnny Depp about 10 years ago. They got married and it was clearly a very toxic, uh, horrible, uh, and allegedly on both sides, violent relationship. So uh, Amber Heard wrote an op-ed piece in the Washington Post saying that she was a victim uh, of domestic abuse. And of course, this was right in the middle of the, the height of the Me Too movement and uh, heightened to a good level, uh, awareness, uh, even though she didn't mention Johnny Depp by name, it was clear that she was talking about Johnny Depp. So he sued her for defamation. Now, because the piece was in the Washington Post and the Washington Post has printing presses and servers in Fairfax, Virginia, that's where the trial took place. If you're wondering why the hell, when that trial was going on, why are they, why are they in Fairfax, Virginia? That's why. So for six weeks, Johnny Depp, Amber Hurt, their respective uh, camps, and then all of those crazy fans, about 95% of them, seem to be Johnny Depp fans. They they camped outside the courthouse. If you got there early enough, you might be able to get inside. And what this Netflix series reminds us of, folks, is the fact that uh, the judge has sole discretion in the state of Virginia in terms of allowing cameras in the courtroom or not. I'm generally in favor of cameras in the courtroom. We should be able to see the legal proceedings. I think in this case, it turned what was already a circus into a three ring circus, a sideshow, because there were more than, I think, 200 hours of the trial were live streamed, which gave all sorts of influencers and YouTubers. And quite frankly, as as we see in this documentary series, a lot of uninformed uh, fools who are exploiting the case for clicks and subscribers and likes. So what I found interesting about the series is that you know we get to see Johnny Depp and Amber Heard and their testimony and their reaction to each other. And again, between the testimony and the uh, the witnesses from uh, for both sides and some of the audio and video recordings, it's clear that this was just a horrific relationship pretty early on. And, you know, misdeeds on both sides. The, the, some of the allegations were never going to know the truth. Only those two people do know the truth. The, the reason I'm not recommending this, and I know I'm, I'm making it sound like, oh, you got to check it out. And, you know, you might want to check it out. But for three parts, for three episodes that are like, 50 minutes a piece. This documentary doesn't question enough. It just lays out the case, shows you footage from the testimony, obviously much of it edited for brevity, and then just gives a platform showing all these YouTube and TikTok people, people who were mocking Amber Heard, including a lot of young women, which is kind of disheartening to see, they're, you know, saying that she was overacting and they're make, making themselves up and doing their hair and wardrobe to, to look like Amber Heard and then reciting her testimony and making fun of her. And then a lot of dudes who were clearly misogynistic. They were in Johnny Depp's corner. They didn't talk at all about the previous case in the UK in which Johnny Depp had been found liable. They didn't, all they wanted to do was, you know, defend their hero, Johnny Depp, against this horrible, hysterical, lying woman. That's their words, not mine. Their sentiment, not mine. And it's just, I, I wish this is the kind of documentary where, you know, you normally get the lawyers and uh, the, the, the real journalists, the accredited journalists, the experts in the field to give those interviews, to put things in perspective. And also they didn't, some of these YouTubers, there's one guy, he wears a mask. He wears a Deadpool mask. And I'm like, why, why do you get, why are you anonymous? What are you afraid of? And he's just spewing vitriol at Amber Heard. And it's like, if nothing else, sit down. Some of these people that got made a lot of money, first of all, off of this case and had a lot of opinions that were just based on what they thought while watching the live stream, sit them down and ask them how they felt about it and how they feel about the aftermath. 
and everything that was thrown at Amber Heard afterwards. So it's called Depp versus Heard on Netflix, three-part series. I, I personally say life's too short, guys. I watch these so you don't have to. All right, let's end on that note. Uh, lots going on in the world of entertainment and pop culture as always. I'm Richard Roper. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again soon.